Welcome to the Barefoot Lunch Podcast, helping you lead a more creative and vital life. I'm your host, David Sweet. So welcome to the Barefoot Lunch Podcast. I'm here with the wonderful educator, Doreen Ainsley. She's a middle school teacher at Lincoln Public Schools. She's been teaching there for 40 years, covering social studies, special education, also teaching high school in summer, and has been uh, not, has been awarded as a state educator of the year and uh, a couple of times in a prestigious National Teacher of Excellence Award. Uh, so I'm very pleased to welcome Doreen Ainsley. Welcome. Welcome. So share with us, share with us, Doreen, your, your path to, you, you took to being an educator. Oh, well, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to be a teacher. I can remember sitting in my, my house when I was a little girl grading my mom's magazines with a red pen. Um, I can remember sitting in fourth grade thinking, boy, I'm not going to do that when I'm a teacher. Or I will do that when I'm a teacher. Um, Got a little sidetracked, though, when I uh, went to college because I'd earned a scholarship in engineering. So I um, started out actually in engineering. And, of course, after the first year, realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. But back then, I was only one of four women in the engineering college at the University of Nebraska. So I got called into the dean's office and pretty much yelled at for wanting to set my sights so low as to be only a teacher. Um, Stood my ground, went to the uh, teacher's college and um, never looked back. Um, Got my undergraduate through uh, the University of Kearney um, in social sciences, BA in education, and then Moved to Lincoln here uh, after I got married and um, uh, got my master's in special education and then have just done odds and ends of classes at Wesleyan University and things like that along the way. That's exceptional. That's a, well, how have you seen education change over the last 40 years since you've been in? Well, I guess, <laughs> I guess the obvious one now is technology. <laughs> Um, since we're using it so much uh, now with um, the COVID virus. Um, I started off with, um, we were lucky if we had electric typewriters and mimeograph machines. Mm. And, uh, of course, now um, I Zoom with my uh, high school students. uh, I'm teaching economics right now, and I Zoom with them daily. And... um, uh, so that's probably one of the biggest differences um, that I see in education, but also, you know, really families have changed a lot. Uh, we see a lot more um, single parent families or families where both parents are working, where sometimes there's just not the kind of support that we used to see um, for students. And so sometimes we, kind of have to pick up that slack um, for students if they don't have that support at home. Okay. So there's a a couple of things there. So with um, teaching with Zoom and you you mentioned you're teaching going into an empty classroom and 
and teaching to an empty classroom. How's how's that? Well, it's really hard to make a connection with the students um, over the screen, uh, especially with summer school. Uh, the way it's set up, these are students that I've not seen before, and they don't know each other because they're coming from different high schools around our district. And so um, it's taken a lot of special effort to to do kind of build that relationship with kids. Um, I know they always suggest that we have students join our classrooms um, on mute. I do just the opposite and tell the kids, I want to hear some noise when you come in, because uh, I'm in an empty room. So it might be that I hear a dog bark, and I ask somebody, uh, you know, put your dog up <laughs> to the screen, so they, um, you know, just anything to get them talking with me and talking with each other. Um, so that's kind of been the real challenge, I think, with, with Zoom, is just making that connection. When we left school originally, those were students I had. Those were students I'd had for three quarters and I knew, and that was a little bit easier. This has been a challenge, and it will be more of a challenge this fall if we have to do um, some of the Zoom teaching. And, and this is leading into the second part, but right now you have kids that don't know each other, and you don't know you, so you're, you're building up that, that rapport with them. Are you able to have them build community uh, or friendship? How does that work now? It's been it's been slowly starting um, now that we're about done. But um, I've been seeing kids come earlier and earlier to the Zoom. I always make sure I have it open fifteen or twenty minutes ahead of time. And so some of them will come in and chat with me and I'm starting to see some of them chat with each other a little bit more. Um, so it's, it's building, but that would have certainly have um, happened sooner had we been in person. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, sometimes it's a matter of, Oh, for example, we have in Lincoln been asking parents and asking teachers, what do they want to see school look like in the fall? but no one had asked kids. So that was one of my opening questions one day was to just say in chat, would you put down, how, how are you feeling about going back to school? And, uh, you know, are you feeling comfortable? Are you a little scared to, um, and just kind of asking their opinions. And I think that kind of helped, um, open up some lines of communication. What were some answers you got? You know, overwhelmingly kids wanted to come back they missed, I was surprised. They said, we miss our teachers as well as our friends. So that, that felt good. Um, And, um, but they wanted to make sure that they were not just coming back uh, for just the academics. They also really missed their uh, music, um, their marching bands, things like that. They wanted to come back to those things too. Um, Almost all of them said they had no problems wearing a mask and doing whatever it needed to be to be safe. But also overwhelmingly, they said they were scared. Um, mm. And that kind of surprised me. Um, but they said, um, and most of them, it wasn't so much that they were scared for themselves, but they all had grandparents or a parent at home or a little brother who had um asthma or whatever 
and so they were afraid of bringing it back to to their families. Mm. Well, and what about for a lot of these kids, like you said, have single parents or both parents are working. Are those parents at home now, and so they're they're that solves some of the problems of having working parents, or what? What do you see? You know, um, I. I don't have any little kids at home myself, but what I hear from parents um, or we hear on the news is uh, when you're working from home, you really have your attention divided. You know, you're trying to do your best you can at your job so that you don't lose it. Mm. Uh, And you have your kids there that you really need to take home, uh, take care of. And so I'm assuming the younger, the more difficult that is. And I know I have a couple kids. I'm I'm pretty certain that when they come on Zoom, they block off their video, and I think they're taking care of younger children. Wow. And so I think it's been a hardship on on families just all the way around, trying to hold on to jobs or worrying about their income if they have lost their job, and then just trying to juggle both. Um, being a parent at home and and helping the younger kids with their schoolwork through Zoom, things like that. So I don't think it's been easy on anybody. Okay. I, I've always thought that the U.S. was so ahead of, say, us in Japan with technology in the classroom. Um, still a lot of people at home didn't have computers or kids aren't using computers in the classroom um, what about technology just in general outside before COVID did you see happening in the U.S.? Oh, um, I think we were fortunate here. Um, we're one of the bigger cities in Nebraska uh, where I think you had um, a large percentage of the kids who had computers, who had Wi-Fi access, um, of course, our district about um, probably about four years ago uh, went to one uh, device per student. So kids did have access to their own computer. Wow. Um, and if they did not have Wi-Fi or uh, adequate Wi-Fi, uh, we did get wi- uh, got hotspots for the kids to use. So we were in pretty good shape. I think in in parts of our country, it's the rural areas that are really um, uh, have some difficulties with having uh, good access mm-hmm. to Wi-Fi especially. So I would say it's not, um, it's not uniform throughout the United well, States by okay. any means. Uh, I know you're very humble, and, uh, but your peers have recognized you as one of the, the best teachers in the United States. What, what do you think makes a great teacher. Sometimes I think I got honored just because I've been around a long time. Uh, but, um, <laughs> oh, um, you know, kids don't learn the same way. Um, uh, there's lots of different teaching styles. And I think I've always felt like uh, good, solid teachers knew that art of what a student needed whether it be um, a student who needed a little bit of extra mothering because they just needed some encouragement 
to get going in their education or whether they needed um, more tough love, um, kind of a kick in the butt, so to say, uh, to get going. Mm. Um, and I think teachers who stay around for a long time, who like what they're doing, I think they just kind of have that natural instinct of being able to figure out what does a child need. Um, I think almost anybody could probably teach the basics of, of the curriculum. You can learn that. It, I think it takes um, special teachers to be able to figure out what each individual child needs. Mm. So really looking at the individual student to, to figure that out. Yeah, kind of the, I've always felt like it was the art of teaching to just figure out what does that child need to be successful. Mm. And, you know, um, I do feel like every kid can be successful. It's just breaking through whatever their, their hardships are to get there. Um, whatever it is that's maybe blocking their way. Mm. How do you do that? You get you get to know the student um, as well as you can, as quickly as you can. Um, sometimes it's just almost a gut reaction to this child just looks like they're beaten down and they just need somebody who really cares for them and so you try to show them as much of that as you can and then there's other students that may have the chip on the shoulder and just kind of need that little tough love to say you know I'm going to be the one that's going to be consistent for you if you're not finding that consistency elsewhere by golly you'll get it in the classroom and I've always told students you know no matter what's going on outside of school hmm. School should be your safe place. School is your place where you have people who care about you, who support you. And this is a place where you can kind of put all those outside troubles that maybe you have at home, put them away for a while, and just, you know, just flourish here. And um, if kids are able to do that, they can usually be successful. Hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was... Uh going through, I was teaching uh, inner city in Denver in junior high school. And I, I was going in, I was new and had all these ideals that I was going to teach, you know, Shakespeare and, uh, you know, these, the highest uh, English that I could teach these youngsters. And a lot of them just didn't need it. They just needed safety. They, they, mm -hmm. they're lucky if they got, you know, three square meals a day. Well, some couldn't read. Um, there were, there was I, one girl I remember, she just needed a place to sleep because, uh, you know, uh, there were terrible things happening in her world. And it was just that safety net and being able to realize that. Yeah. There was a time period, oh, probably about 10 or 15 years ago, where I really felt like, and I've taught middle school my entire career, and I just thought, I'm not getting anything across to them. I'm not, they're not learning anything from me. And then, um, then my own children got into high school and I got, and they were in the feeder school that went, that my middle school kids went to. And so I was in their high school quite a bit. And I saw some of these kids that I'd had in middle school 
and they just flourished in high school. They found their little niche uh, and just blossomed. And so I finally realized, oh, maybe my job in middle school is just get, to get them from here to here safely and in one piece and um, still okay to go on. And then maybe they'll make that connection in high school. Um, so it was, you know, I was almost to the point of thinking I, I'm just a failure as a teacher. Maybe I need to quit. And, um, that was, that was my boost of, okay, you know, I do, I am serving a purpose. Um, it just may not seem like it day to day. Yeah. I, well, middle schools, I, I think one of the most important ages, right there, uh, hormones are starting to act up and, and kids don't know up from down and left or right. And it's, it's crazy. So you, you've gone from little children to not yet adults and that's, that's, it, uh, you get be magic. It's never a dull moment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so what's kept you going for 40 years? Um, I think it's those rare occasions when you have now what it is, is I will have parents who will come back. Um, I live in a, uh, the North, or I teach in the Northeast part of Lincoln, which is a very strong um, blue collar worker community where people stay there forever, generational. They don't tend to move around the city. They love their Northeast Lincoln. And so um, I've started having, uh, children of the kids that I've had. And um, it's nice to hear them come back and say, oh, I'm so glad you're going to have my son or daughter. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay. Or, gee, I remember when we did this. And I thought, I didn't think you were remembering anything at the time. Uh, so, you know, it's those little just things that kind of keep you going day to day. Um, now it's I, what keeps me going is the fear of not being able to keep going because uh, it's hard to think about getting to that end of your career and not being ready to give it up yet. So mm. I think that's what keeps it going. And a family that's always supported me. Um, you know, I had three children and none of them ever went into education. Yeah. And um, uh, one of my sons um, was at an award ceremony one time and, our district administrator said, Hey, if you ever want to, you know, come back and teach for us, you know, we'd love to have you. And Ryan looked at him in the eye and said, why would I want to do that? My mom spends every weekend nights greeting papers. I don't think that's what I'm cut out to do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they spent a lot of time at school with me on the weekends. So it's, yeah. A lot of dedication, right? Well, it's um, the job never got easier. I remember um, a young teacher one time, he was in his oh, third or fourth year, and he said, you know, I expected my first year to be tough. But I thought by now it would be getting easier. And it's like, oh, my God, by that time I taught maybe 35 years. And it's like, no, it doesn't ever get easier. Um, it maybe gets different. Uh, there may be some things that make our job easier, like there's parts of technology that certainly make it easier. Um, but then there's just something else we pick up in, in addition. So no, it's mm. not, it gets easier. 
one of the things that uh, uh, I was brought up learning was that a lot of the education you get comes from home. Mm -hmm. Some of it's from school, but the majority of it comes from home. What do you recommend for parents? What would be your advice for parents to help their kids flourish? Oh, I think... Especially busy parents. You know, I think send us your best-loved kid you can, your Mm. best-provided kid that you can so that they're ready to learn. Start reading with them, uh, you know, as early as you can. Uh, It just makes a world of difference. Um, Talk to them. It worries me that I see young people with, with small children on their their cell phones on their devices and not talking with their kids. Mm. Um, and um, they pick up so much, you know, they're just little sponges. And so spend the time, what time you do have, you know, maybe you aren't going to have tons because you're working, but spend what time you do have just really paying attention and listening to them. It was interesting. There was a study done with um, kids uh, and just the ones that came away emotionally challenged were the ones that their parents ignored them. It wasn't abuse. It wasn't, they just were ignored, not looked at. And um, I agreed, not just putting down the device and looking at your child, chatting with them and, and talking to them. It's so important. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of reading as well. Early in life, I I know I was I was given a lot of books that I had no idea what I was reading, but uh, did get to read a lot. But and the it made all the difference. Did read, yes. It it made all the difference, right? It does. That's great. Yeah, and, and there's simple things that doesn't cost any money and very little uh, addition to time that we already have, right? Well, and we've we've gotten so much better about um, you know having what we call little uh, little neighborhood book um, uh, libraries where mm. there's one across the street from me where people just read a book and then put one in. Um, so, and, and of course we have free libraries and we just have you know we have access um, for kids to have reading material. Um, we just need to to do it. Yeah, that's great. So I got uh, three questions I ask everybody. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you those. Uh, carrying in on the the book theme, what one book would you recommend everyone should read? You know what? I'm going to weenie on this one because I have taught reading for a number of years, and I always tell my kids, "It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you read. Just read." Um, you know, it it doesn't matter if it's the side of the uh, cereal box um, in the morning. Just just read. Um, I personally love biographies. Mm. Um, one of my saddest moments was in my little town that I grew up in um, when I had read all of the little biographies that they had for kids. And I had a nice little librarian who said, well, honey, I have some more in the adult section. <laughs> and I said, well, then let me try one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I still have kind of a, I love biographies and autobiographies, but 
you know, like I, I would be remiss if I just didn't say, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what book you read. Just read. That's great. There was a, that was in, in Franklin. Was the library up by the pool? Um, actually, that was, that was the new library, David. Uh, the old library was actually um, more by Grandma's house. Um, okay. That um, uh, just a little musty building. <laughs> and, uh, but they had this little children's section uh, that was just cram-packed with um, little biographies for kids. I just loved them. Do you, is there one that you remember? Oh, um, there's these little series of, of books on Buffalo Bill Cody and um, Thomas Jefferson and uh, just uh, some of the uh, heroes of the West, but also some of the great statesmen. And it was just kind of a series that, um, oh, I can picture them in my head, but I'm not sure uh, exactly what the the um, series was, but those were always great ones. That's fantastic. And uh, this is Barefoot Lunch. So what's your favorite lunch that you have? Anything that I can sit down and eat longer than 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I don't tend to eat during the school year. Um, I There just isn't time. So I'd rather, you know, if I can't sit and enjoy and relax, then I'm not going to do it. So, um, yeah, this uh, COVID has been nice for that. I've been able to take some more relaxing lunches. And so, um, you know, there's always, I guess, some good good things that come out of every bad thing, too. Uh, in Nebraska, I mean, one of my favorite memories in Nebraska is uh, vegetables. It's always good, fresh vegetables in oh, Nebraska. Yeah. You know, I've got to share this when we're talking about reading. My favorite memory of my dad was, you know, my dad never finished high school, uh, worked construction most of his life. My favorite memory of him is seeing him in his overalls, laying on the floor with his head propped up, reading a book. Now that's a powerful message to send to a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, your mom read a lot too. I remember grandma reading all the time. Lights were always on reading for Ben. Mm -hmm. And again, she was a woman who never had the opportunity to graduate from high school. Both of them were, um, no, they were, um, mom went back to the farm to help take care of her father um, uh, or stayed on the farm to take care of her father and left school early. Uh, dad left early to go to World War II. So, yeah, neither one of them had, you know, high school educations. And yet, I mean, it's so it's not how educated you are that you can have that impact on your children. Um, but, yeah, you know that um, just those just those messages you're sending by by modeling are just huge. That's a great story. Good memory. Thank you for that. I, I will cherish that. If you could invite anyone to lunch, living or dead, who would you invite? You know what? I knew you were going to ask this, and of course it's an age-old question to ask, and it's been different over the years. But the minute I saw that question, I thought, David, it's you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, seriously. 
um, I think of you as this sweet little boy, <laughs> as a precocious teenager, but you have become an extremely multifaceted, interesting man that I would just like to sit down and have lunch with you. Well, we'll have to do that. Um, and like I said, that one, I, you know, it's like, oh, I could come up with all sorts of sophisticated answers. And it's like, no, that's what came to my mind. Thank you. For that. So you're the one I'd like to have lunch with. Well, we'll have to do that. Nice. The, the wonderful thing I found with COVID is just connecting with the rest of the world. Japan was far away and now it's not. Uh, exactly. And um, we could have been doing this for a long time and haven't. And so, um, I, you know, I guess I didn't realize how easy it was until it was forced on me to, to do it. And so it's like, yeah, we can, we can sit down and have lunch together sometime. <laughs> it's been funny because I've had, uh, I've had drinks with clients and, and their spouses now online. And, you know, we, we had our, uh, a surprise birthday party. I've been to three surprise birthday parties on Zoom. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it's just uh, so we're able to, to do these things differently now in, in this world. So I think that's uh, some of the positives we can take away. That's as well. right. Like I said, there, it, it truly is always seems to be something we can find positive out of every catastrophe. So. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. Love you. This brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. The Barefoot Lunch podcast is released on the 1st and 15th of the month and can be found on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. If you like what you've heard, please leave a rating and a nice comment. And thank you. Our original music was composed and performed for the Barefoot Lunch podcast by Sweeney Davis. Mm-hmm.